Welcome to the second episode in an old season of Amazing Race Recaps from Reality TV Warriors. My name is Michael Harmstone, and joining me as always is the Canadian who is no longer explosive, Logan Saunders. Good afternoon. And the lady who wants to show that being 50-ish isn't a bad thing, Michelle Pierce-Denovan. Where did that come from? How did that come out of the episode? That's Terry and Ian. It's a, oh, yeah, yes, I actually it wrote, I, wrote, I wrote that quote down. <laughs> it's literally the first thing we hear them saying in this episode is that they want to show being 50-ish isn't a bad thing. Yes, I remember hearing that and I was thinking, what the hell are they wearing? Are they matching? And where do you buy clothes like that? The hat. As Flo would say in, in episode five, you can never mistake him for the hat. <laughs> Just those shirts. Where do you buy? Like a guy? Fine. Where she bought that shirt from? My God. You've got to be matching on Amazing Race. It's uh, it's tradition. You have to match your head turn, got to match your outfits. Jeez. Were you paying attention to the head turn this time, Michelle? Yes, I did. <laughs> and did you approve? It was a good head turn. Yes. <laughs> That's a title quote if I've ever heard one. It was a good head turn. <laughs> Screw your U-turns, your blind U-turns, and your double U-turns and double blind U-turns. No turn is better than a head turn. <laughs> I like how at the start of episode two in the previously on segment, we're still so early on in the series that Phil has to re-explain the entire concept of the show. <laughs> like usually in most episode twos nowadays, Phil will say, "Oh, eleven teams of two started a race around the world, and this is what happened." Here, Phil says, "There are twelve teams of two, all with a pre-existing relationship. They can be related, they can be dating, they can be father and son, and they have to complete a series of tasks and try not to get eliminated." I'm thinking, man. They were really expecting a lot of brand new viewers to this show. <laughs> Can I point out, he specifically does not say pre-existing relationships in this episode. He does in episode one, but not in episode two, all because of Michael and Kathy. And John Vito and Jill, to be fair, because the usual rule in early seasons is they have to know each other for three years. And Michael and Kathy definitely don't adhere to that. Three! Yeah, John Vito and Jill technically do because of the fact that he was her brother's friend. But Michael and Kathy definitely didn't know each other for three years. At least they've at, le- at least two years. Because I think they said they've been long distance staying for two. So that's still quite a while from personal experience. And <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, and the we're only going to see that rule bend more and more. Like it's like, okay, two years is fine. I mean, two years, three years, whatevs. But then when Allison and Donnie, I don't even know if they were two years. And then... And then eventually it's going to be like dating couples have only been dating for months. (laughs) And then eventually it's going to be people who have never met each other before until the starting line. (laughs) So, yeah, we're still in the early days where it's like, okay, one out of the 12 teams is, is two years. Everyone else is three years or more. And one other thing that I have not heard in a very long time is... Ken and Gerard, who arrived first at 10.36 a.m., will depart at 10.36 p.m. What? Arrival time and a departure time? (laughs) Be still, my beating heart. (laughs) It's like, yes, yes, it's finally happened. (laughs) We're finally covering a season that has 12-hour pit stops, and Phil is transparent with that on screen. 
and the three words that we love the most, eat, sleep, and mingle. Yeah, we actually get to see the team smiling, having a good time, chatting with each other. Swimming. Swimming, yeah, especially swimming in Mexico City. Wow. And I'm thinking, wow, this is really a a bygone era. (laughs) Mm. This would not happen anymore. No, now it's like, oh, make sure the teams do not interact whatsoever at the pit stop. Unless it's a big American national holiday like Thanksgiving. Otherwise, keep them as far away from each other as possible. No interaction, no fun, no smiling, no bonding. So that when the show is over and teams are eliminated, they never talk to each other ever again. No happiness allowed on modern Amazing Race. Yeah, because as we find out in the early seasons, a lot of the teams still relatively keep in touch with each other to this day because of the fact that they are allowed to interact at the pit stops. Now, I, I know for a fact that there are far fewer teams who keep in contact with each other regularly, unless you have unless you have a cast or a couple of teams who are very adamant about everyone keeping in contact with each other. I think 32 was one of the few seasons where that's the, the case. And even then you have like Gary and D'Angelo who do not communicate with anyone from their cast. Well, that's a, it's kind of a special exception given the circumstances with them. It's not as if it's going to stop an alliance, is it? As we noticed already. Yeah, that's another parallel to bring up with, with 32 because all the time for the past seven months on Twitter, uh, James Wallington specifically says, Look at the look at Amazing Race. Why why is my alliance being blasted when alliances have been around since day one? And I'm thinking, well, in season three, the alliances are a little bit different because they are very very fluid. We're gonna see a lot of alliances this episode that are going to drastically change not only in their composition but also in what their goal is. Because believe it or not, the twin hunt of getting Derek and Drew out that starts this episode, there may or may not be a team that's not on board with that by about episode, towards the end of episode four or five. We're going to see that shift very, very, very much. And it's actually a hilarious alliance in this episode because Derek and Drew barely beat out Gene and Sylvia by about, I'm going to guess probably about 10 minutes at the end of episode one. And see themselves as the weakest team out of all 11 teams in the race and they're the ones that are being targeted and furthermore what's the point of targeting them when you know they're going to get they're most likely going to get the fast forward because if the first leg has taught us anything Tramel and Talisha have this phobia of going after fast forwards so, as Logan said, we had start times, so we had Ken and Gerard leaving at 10.36pm, Flo and Zach at 1.09am, Aaron and Ariane at 1.11, Michael and Kathy at 1.33, John Vito and Jill at 1.35, Heather and Eve at 2.16, Dennis and Andrew 3.29, Terry and Ian 3.33, Andre and Damon 4.12, we'll get to them in a minute, Jamil and Talisha 4.28, and Derek and Drew bringing up the rear at 4.37. Andre and Damon should not have left at 4.12am. Yeah, so I'll quickly I'll quickly run through that. So Phil actually had a very specific explanation for this that took up a percentage of the episode. Because there is really two penalties involved here. One is the 78-minute penalty, because during the detour, during the donkey task, which we talked about last episode, 
they did not take the specific course, surprise, surprise. So Phil said, the course made them finish 48 minutes faster than they were supposed to. How they were able to calculate that is quite impressive. They must have had to send someone out on the donkey carts to say, this is the route Andre and Damon took. How much faster is it? Yeah, mm. and this is 2002. And they were in, it looked like a pretty rural area for part of the track. So I'm sure there was some poor soul in production or dream teamer who was like, okay, you have to go out there, see how, how much time Andre and Damon gained, and then report back to me within six hours so we can calculate their departure time. And then back then, all penalties had to be a minimum of 30 minutes. This rule, of course, is going to change by season 14, maybe even earlier, where they say, well, we're not going to do a mandatory 30-minute penalty rule. So for some reason, it had to be mandatory 30 minutes on top of the time gain, so it was 78-minute penalty. And then it said that Andre, I believe, had Montezuma's Revenge, plus they missed their alarm. So they depart three minutes later than they were supposed to after their penalty time, so they actually lose 81 minutes because of those two things. And Andre didn't even get to brush his teeth this morning. No, how terrible for him. But don't worry, he's going to have a 24-hour bus ride soon to catch up with all that sort of stuff. (laughs) With a car crash. And uh, what else do we have? Oh yes, Ken and Gerard, when they first leave, they read they have to go to the Pyramid of the Sun... One of the biggest pyramids on the planet, if I'm not mistaken, if not the biggest. (laughs) And one other thing I have to point out. So again, 43-minute episode with 11 teams, and we have two self-drive portions to this episode. We have two buses, three if your bus crashes, two ferry rides, a route marker, a detour, a roadblock, and a pit stop that they have to cram into this episode. So people are thinking, oh, why do we have another detour and roadblock where they don't have to really do anything? It's like, well, because we have a lot of adventuring between six or seven different forms of transportation in the episode. Oh, and also a taxi ride. It is chock full. That's what I mean. The early seasons, the adventure aspect is what production focused on. They couldn't care less about, like, oh, knock down these ten balls and Gabriel, the game vendor, will hand them their next clue. It's like, no, they go do this thing, they collect the clue on their own, they go to the next place, swim with dolphins for a couple minutes, try to find a clue there. There isn't anybody who's waiting for them to complete an objective and then hand them a clue. It's very much like, go to the spot where the clues are including the detours and roadblocks. That's another massive shift that's going to happen in later seasons. I'm really enjoying these driving lakes because we sort of, we don't get a lot of them nowadays. And I love watching them all get lost. It really changes up the order. It leans on the adventure aspects of the earlier seasons. And I know we're going to probably say this a lot during this season of recaps and sound like crotchety old bastards when we say this, but the reason that older amazing race is so much better is because teams are so much more self-reliant they have to drive more on their own they have to navigate more on their own they get more cryptic clues i mean we're gonna get to one in a few episodes time where they literally just get the flag of a country which they haven't done since amazing race 21 like that's awesome 
and teams should be encouraged to be a lot more self-reliant rather than it being a glorified Contiki trip. And one other thing to point out is that this gives teams who aren't quite as athletic a real chance of winning a Mason race because especially when we get into the era of, say, Amazing Race Canada and beyond to present day, there's going to be a massive shift where if you're, if you're not athletic, you're, you're screwed on the Amazing Race because <laughs> it's, it really leans into having some sort of physical, physical and athletic prowess in order to do well, because you can't make up for it by strong navigation skills. That completely goes out the window. <laughs> yeah, I, I know full well if somehow I was on The Amazing Race that navigation would probably be my strongest skill and driving places. Like, I am not physically athletic by any stretch of the imagination. I know we've discussed this many times, <laughs> but I'm pretty good with my navigation. I'm pretty good with my driving skills. So I could make time up there. Like, over the next few seasons, or actually, you could say in three of the first seven seasons, the winners are not going to be teams who are in even in the top half of being overall the most athletic as a duo. And that's going to change more and more over time. I can't even really think of the last time a really non-athletic team won. I mean, Maya? That's, yeah, that's what I was thinking too. And we needed some interference there <laughs> for that to happen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and a final task that relied a lot on luck. <laughs> yeah. So they have an hours of operation at the Pyramid of the Sun, which is 7 o'clock in the morning, conveniently time for everyone, and they've got $360 for this leg of the race. That's quite a bit of money for Mexico, but they are going to a more expensive area because they're taking them out to Cancun, plus they have to pay for a lot of different forms of transportation, plus mm. they have to pay to fill up their gas tank. <laughs> yes, yeah, bus and ferry and taxi and petrol as well. And taxi as well, yeah. All in one episode with 11 teams and only 43 yeah. minutes of running time to show it all. <laughs> <laughs> and then we get the start of a lot more alliances this leg because it's going to start out with Flo and Zach and Aaron and Ariane aligning with Aaron and Ariane really making fun of Flo and Zach's uh, romantic sparks. Why haven't they done it? Why haven't they just done it? <laughs> I've never seen a team that just laughs at their own quotes in confessionals as much as Aaron and Ariane do. The producers do love to just cut to Aaron and Ariane doing stuff in this episode. There's like two or three examples of them just cutting to them for a reaction. Yeah, they. I think it's because they like to. They seem to like enjoying talking about the other teams because they they diss Flo and Zach twice in the first couple scenes of this episode because they're like, oh, we thought he was some Uber navigator trying to do everything. It's like, well, he's not trying to do everything. He, some scenario, Zach has to do everything. <laughs> and then they're going to make fun of Michael not wanting to... Do anything. Not wanting to do, yeah, not wanting to do anything remotely adventurous. They make fun of the twins too because they're the ones that are leading the hunt to get, get Derek and Drew out even though it's like, how are you going to get them out if they're going for the fast forward? If you're going to get Derek and Drew out, you have to get the four of you together and say, one of us takes the fast forward. That blocks Derek and Drew from being able to get the fast forward. They're guaranteed to stay on the bottom. And you know what? There's a very likely scenario where Derek and Drew could have gone home this leg. 
because even on the drive to the pit stop, we see them get lost multiple times and screaming at each other. It could have opened the door for Team TNT, and explosiveness could have happened for another episode. Who knows? <laughs> and then uh, John Vito and Jill, Michael and Kathy also align, and then it sort of turns into this four-team alliance, and then later on in the episode, Heather and Eve are somehow going to join in. I think Heather and Eve join in on the alliance because, I don't know how, but Heather and Eve not only made up an hour between the detour and the pit stop on the previous leg, because the buses were two hours apart and somehow they only leave one hour behind them at the pit start. And then they beat all of them to the Pyramid of the Sun. So as much as I love to joke about Heather and Eve, they do pretty damn good this episode, I would say. It's tough to ignore the fact that they have made up a lot of time in each of the first two episodes. They're just good with navigation, what can we say? I mean, they're great with details, no problems there from them. Yeah, and as we'll find out next episode, they're too strong for the Highland Games. <laughs> but in, in all seriousness, they they did do really well here with this self-drive portion. Because you never know who's going who's gonna to really figure out a map. And it's, I think this was a, one of the longest self-drive portions they've ever done on the race. I think it was three or four hours, and then the teams who got lost for a bit said it was five hours. There's a longer one coming. <laughs> Yeah, there is a longer one coming. (laughs) If only you knew what type of fuel to put into your car. It's quite infamously the longest self-drive in Amazing Race history in this season. I don't know, the season four one actually I think might be longer. Depends who you ask, I think. Depends who you are in the season, yeah. But I think season four self-drive in the France leg was something ridiculous, like 10 or 12 hours. Yeah, because it was all the way from Le Mans to the south of France. I think they said, let's drive all of France in one day, I think was the exact quote. (laughs) (laughs) So Derek and Drew immediately look at the fast forward as soon as they leave. They have to fly with the Voladores de Pampelona, which we know all about. They have to hang by their feet and swing down a hundred foot pole to claim the fast forward. But they don't hang down by their feet. They don't, which is bullshit. Utterly bullshit. Yeah, because I think that's what Phil said in the clue and then even the instructor said... You must perform like we do. It's like, oh no, wait. Nope, Derek and Drew just get to do it normally. It's just like a swing ride. It's the most basic form to get down. It looked like they just refused to go upside down. Because someone, because they said, oh, oh, we have to go upside down when they were up there and then they didn't even do it. Maybe they had the option and they said, nah. I think in the grand scheme of cool fast forwards, this has got to be up there. This is a really cool fast forward. Because it's an actual cultural one? Yeah. I mean, the one next episode's pretty cool as well for a different reason. But this one's actually one of the coolest cultural ones they've done in a while. And even the first one, the first one, not it's not like visually cool, but at least it incorporated local culture as well. With uh, There are lots of street typists who type for people who are blind or can't read, and they were able to incorporate that into the episode. And then here it's, yep. Yeah, there are these performers, voladores, that they get to hang out with this time. So everyone's like, oh, fast forwards are lame in earlier seasons because it was just go to the spot, retrieve this clue, and then you're done. Or or just perform this very brief stunt. They don't have to work that hard for a fast forward. It's like, that's not how tasks were in general in the earlier seasons. That was not the main focus. Yeah. We also get Aaron and Ariane getting lost and Aaron's iconic quote of saying they're in bumfuck nowhere. 
And then Ariane saying, this isn't the road to anywhere. This is the path straight to hell. Title <laughs> quote. Yeah, was which was the title quote. Yeah, and then they get st- stuck behind that logging truck that wouldn't let them pass forever. <laughs> Just seeing Aaron's frustration mount. I never remembered Aaron and Ariane being this fun, I have to admit. Yeah, well, yeah, they were the main... In the first, because... We don't get a mass equalizer till halfway into until halfway through or three quarters of the way through episode four is the first mass equalizer of the season. But for these first three episodes, you know the order doesn't really change too much. So R and Ariane are always going to be at the front of the pack, and R and Ariane like to do a lot more and have a lot more fun at the front of the pack compared to when they start falling really, really far behind and are just known as that team that can never catch up. So yeah, once teams get to the top of the pyramid, they have to take a bus from Mexico City to Cancun and find the San Marino Marina to get their next clue. Or as Taryn Ian would say, San Marino Marina. Why are they taking a 24-hour bus? A half-hour plane ride would be better. To ruin these people, that's why. <laughs> Longer filming <laughs> schedule. <laughs> God... I'd forgotten there is a 24-hour bus ride in this episode, and I cannot imagine much worse travelling-wise. Well, how how about we add in a bus crash Yeah, <laughs> in the middle of the night, at just after midnight when everyone's trying to freaking sleep? That is maybe the only thing I can think of that would make that bus ride worse would be it crashing just as you're about to drop off asleep. <laughs> and Andre was still suffering from Montezuma's revenge. Yeah, because the latest these people leave is like quarter past one in the afternoon. So by the time that crashes, they've been on that bus for 11 hours. And then you go through a bus crash. Yeah. I've had a couple of brutal bus experiences in Eastern Europe, but I do not envy the the 24-hour ride with a bus crash in the middle of it in a race for a million dollars, wondering when the hell an equalizer is going to happen. <laughs> yeah. We also, in this episode, get the start of two nicknames from Ken and Gerard, one for themselves, which is Timo Brother, and they also utter the first instance of John Vito and Jill being The Rock and Rambette. How 90s are those references? Because this would have been a reference to probably The Rock as a wrestler rather than being in The Scorpion King. No, I was thinking the movie The, the Rock from like 1995 or 96. I'm assuming it was a reference to The Wrestler just as he was about to break into films. Well, yeah, this this was filmed in 2002. That was definitely The Rock's peak as he was getting into his acting career too, and still being in WWF. Yeah, The Scorpion King was released on the 17th of April 2002. Yeah, it's the, apparently that nickname happened on even earlier than this. <laughs> I think this is the first time we actually officially know it. Yeah, it's the first time it's said on camera, yeah, that they air it on TV. Yeah. Because clearly John Vito and Jill are more fit than anybody else to get to the top of the pyramid first. Well, yeah, I think it's Andre and Damon who basically get altitude sickness by the time they've climbed up the 200 steps. But it doesn't matter. They, Andre and Damon overtake a two-hour disadvantage against Terry and Ian and Dennis and Andrew who have aligned. And just to get an idea of how competitive and intense Terry and Ian are, they make fun of Dennis being a slow driver. They said, we should have been here over an hour ago, Dennis, but because we're stuck behind you, we're losing all this time. <laughs> I love the scene of Andre and Damon finding it hilarious that Terry and Ian and Dennis and Andrew blanked them, because apparently they were just pissed off that they got overtaken. 
I don't think it was that they'd got overtaken. I think it's probably still the residual anger from them just acting like dicks in Miami Airport. <laughs> yeah, Andre Damon's like, yeah, no eye contact was made. They couldn't even look at us that we cut up for two hours. Damn, they must be so jealous of us and so pissed off with themselves. It's like, nah, maybe everyone's still pissed off as hell from the, <laughs> from all the gossip that's probably gone around about you from the first episode. I think if this was a season with a yield or a U-turn, Andre and Damon would have been targets by now. Yeah, because Andre and Damon are, for some reason, going to be the most targeted team after this twin hunt storyline wears off, to the point that other teams are going to say, please do not let Andre and Damon on our plane. I think it's a similar argument to the one that we made with Olcek Gulson. They just don't know what they're like. They just don't know how they affect people. Yeah. I think they just don't know how they come across to other people. That's what it boils down to. Yeah, because Andre and Damon are just going to get their names absolutely dragged through the mud the whole time. Because <laughs> Ken and Gerard are going to have some pretty brutal confessionals about them as well as Flo and Zach. Yeah. So Derek and Drew claim the fast forward by not doing what they should do. They should get a 24-hour penalty for that. That's my argument. They should be getting penalized at the start of episode three. And they do say that it is worse than skydiving, even though it's basically just a glorified chair ride for them. And it looks quite yeah. fun if you don't have to go upside down. Mm. Yeah. One thing about Andre and Damon making up those two hours, how did that guy they hire get back home? I'm assuming he lived somewhere on their route to Mexico City again. You hope so. Because mm. he was in their car for a while from the hotel. Either that or he just knew someone who lived near the Pyramid of the Sun. Well, he went all the way to the bus station with them, so maybe he just jumped on the bus too to get back home. Maybe they paid for his bus ticket. But it's like, that guy had no idea how long he had to travel with them for. <laughs> I think it's the longest I've seen a team, or it's the longest I've seen a local just travel with the team on the Amazing Race. Be hours and hours away from where they live. He just wanted a tour of uh, the local area, that's what it boils down to. <laughs> Yeah, he's like, yeah, I know where this is. P.S. I just really want to see the Pyramid of the Sun. I've never been there before. It's a cool place. I'll tell my kids. So we get one interesting thing before the bus ride, which is, of course, Derek and Drew arriving at the station to tell everyone they claim the fast forward and Ian telling them that they've got six teams ahead of them, so they should be able to get a top five placement. So weird. <laughs> Talking of someone who has no idea how he comes across to people. Yeah, Ian's like, yeah, you guys will do pretty good this leg. Probably top five. Top five if you work hard enough at it. Yeah. Good job, guys. If you focus, believe, achieve, you can get your top five placement. You're, you're going to do okay, guys. Derek and Drew don't even know how to react. They're like, oh, yeah, thanks. Thanks for the chat, Ian. Thanks for the assessment of where we'll finish. How would you react to Ian generally? I don't know. I think I'd have to experience it firsthand. I think <laughs> I would have to... I think it would almost be like talking to Dwight Schrute from The Office, where you just have to play along with it as much as possible. Or, or yeah. kind of like the Tyson Apostle strategy, where you just fully agree and say yes to whatever they're suggesting, and then see how you can work jokes and prank them throughout the interactions. I think that's the way you got to do it. I don't think it's a secret to say that Terry and Ian have been on our wish list for interviews for years. In fact, they were on our wish list when we were doing... I think it was before we were doing the big interview year in 2018, wasn't it? Yeah, I was, I was definitely asking them before then. 
It's about 2016, I think, we first reached out to Terry and Ian. They are definitely on our list to interview. Yeah, because they're not really, they don't really get disliked by any of the teams after the season is over. It's just that intensity and their lack of filter that takes some getting used to by the teams. Yeah, as I said last episode, Terry and Ian, I am probably going to be championing all season because I love Terry and Ian. They are brilliant characters, but they have no idea how they come across to people at times. Absolutely no idea. (laughs) Which, to be fair, summarizes quite a few of my favorite people in seasons that we do talk about. Because the people who have no idea how they come across to people generally are very, very entertaining because of their complete tone-deaf attitude. Yeah. And then Tremel and Talisha, for whatever reason, just have no desire to go for the fast sword, even though by them not going for it, it puts them in last place because Derek and Drew now have it. So it's funny that even in season three, we have our second episode in a row of people just not figuring out fast forward strategy. And then Tremel said he took it to Caveman Times as he pointed, grunted, and smiled while trying to get directions from a local. And then we can... I don't think there's any other scene other than Terry and Ian deciding they never want to align with Dennis and Andrew again. (laughs) And they all get to the bus station, and there's a big scramble for this 10 a.m. bus that everyone is just barely making it onto. For the second episode in a row, Heather and Eve do play the young female card, which definitely pissed off the audience at the time, because Eve pulls out hysterical crying to ensure she gets on the bus. People who don't pull out the hysterical crying card are Andre and Damon as they just barely miss out the bus, maybe by a minute. I know you want to talk about how invisible John Beto and Jill are in this episode, but I don't think we see Michael and Kathy get tickets. They're the only team on that first bus who I don't think we see them buy tickets at all. I think they just appear on the bus. Well, we have Flo and Zach arguing over departures or ticketing. Ken and Gerard are yelling at Rambet where ticketing is. And then we have Heather and Eve's hysterical crying. We have Andre and Damon. Yeah, so I guess, yeah, I guess we didn't see Michael and Kathy. We don't see Michael and Kathy at all until they appear on the bus and until Phil says, uh, on the first bus is John Vito and Jill and Kenneth and Gerard and Aaron and Ariane and Heather and Eve and Michael and Kathy and Flo and Zach. We don't see them until then. We don't know a lot about Michael and Kathy, really. Apart from the fact that they're long distance staying. Yeah, that's it. And that they've never been together for more than five days at a time, which, factoring in the sequester before the season, they're probably already at the longest time they've been together. In episode three, we definitely see more of them. And actually, it's later on this episode, Detours is where we get we always get a lot of Michael and Kathy airtime because they never choose the popular detour option. So once teams do get to Cancun, because we've already covered the uh, the bus crash, the highlight, I would say, of... A particular Mexican man's life is probably Ariane changing into a bathing suit in the backseat of his taxi. And we know with the production crew that the camera and audio operators are definitely both male. So it's like Ariane's changing in a in a car full of dudes. There is absolutely no way they would air that confessional anymore. <laughs> Especially in the current climate at CBS. There is not a chance in hell that they would be allowed to to video someone getting topless. Yeah. But yeah, that happened. And the funny thing is that they even showed that in the preview at the end of episode one, like, next time on The Amazing Race, the young hot female gets topless in a taxi. Stay tuned for next week. (laughs) And of course, 12-year-old Logan at the time was going, oh, baby. 
<laughs> what is this show? <laughs> Jesus. I mean, that scene does sort of bring to mind the, the life-drawing fast-forward of Amazing Race Canada 2 with our insider at the time, the editor, who fully admitted that he had pictures from the cut bits of that scene where Suki got her tits out. So dodgy. Yeah, that was a weird that was a weird time to be on social media with where it looked like he just he was disappeared by the mob after bragging online that he's like, yeah, as soon as we got to that fast forward scene to edit, every editor in the, like this is this is when you know that why the whole Me Too thing happened because they say, oh yeah, Suki, we got to the scene where we all knew that uh, Suki gets naked and every male editor, which is 100% of the editors I think that work on this show, all got in the room to watch the footage like they were, you know, the two preteen kids from Weird Science. <laughs> I don't think we've discussed this in the seven years since it happened, actually, on the podcast. Thinking about it, I don't think we ever actually acknowledged what happened to the mysterious editor contact who did disappear, like, the week before the finale. He was Facebook messaging me somehow, I can't remember how he got my details, but he was Facebook messaging me, and um, became a mysterious Facebook user a week before the finale, so I'm assuming he got fired or got disappeared. Have you had a look online again since then, though? Yeah, he still shows his Facebook user. Really? Mm. Yeah, he completely got disappeared. He must have another account now, and he's got his name must be there, but in a roundabout way. Have you I ever can't looked? even remember his name. That's the that's the annoying oh, thing. That's annoying. But I remember him saying at the time that in the editing shack that they had, there were screenshots of the cut bits of that scene put up. Jesus. And it's like you would not get away with that now. I'm very surprised you got away with that in 2014. Were Suki and Gender even aware of this? Don't think so, no. I think we might have told them in the end, and I think that might have been a contributing factor to him disappearing off Facebook. Well, imagine being Suki, how awkward that would be to know that's like you're on the show and it's like, oh, so a bunch of dudes were just saved pictures of me being naked? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I think in the end we did tell Suki and Jinder because we were friendly with them at the time um, that that had happened and then he did disappear. So I think that might have have played a part. Yeah. Anyway, so Andre and Damon, after making up all this time, they're now pulled back to the teams who they just passed because it's three and a half hours between buses, which also allows Tremel and Talisha a real shot at this leg. And of course, to make matters worse, the bus that's already three and a half hours behind gets in the bus crash, and I think they said they said that they lost at least an hour. So now it's like a four and a half or five hour disadvantage. And yet somehow Derek and Drew are still first to the pit stop, which shows you how long that day was bouncing back between Cancun and Cozumel with the ferries. Because that's another like semi-equalizer we get is everyone bouncing back and forth between the ferries. It's like, take a taxi to to the detour, self-drive to the ferry, take a ferry to the roadblock, ferry back, and then self-drive to the pit stop. <laughs> so that's what we're going to see. Two things to say. Every time they said Cozumel, like, I haven't heard that word before, but all I could think of was Gargamel from the Smurfs. So every time they said it, I'm, <laughs> I'm transported to the Smurfs. It was really weird. That's the primary school teacher in you, I think, Michelle. <laughs> Maybe. And the music. Did you notice the music was really bizarre? 
especially around the route marker, around the detour, it was really bizarre music. It just kept changing. There was a bizarre music choice last episode as well, because I did mean to mention it last episode, and I can't remember what it was. I'm just quickly looking through my notes. Well, now mm. they have a very, very specific soundtrack. They play through the same like four or five songs in really high volume to the point that there are actually viewers who stopped watching because they can't hear the dialogue over the pounding music. And uh, here it's a bit more, a lot more in the background or just you don't even hear teams talking at all when they like to crank up the music, especially on the Wave Runners. Last episode, it was during Heather and Eve's begging scene at Miami Airport. They played some weird like piano jazz music. Mm-hmm. And it's so, so completely jarring when you watch the scene of them just flirting with guys basically to get fifty plus dollars for free, and it just goes blink, 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 blink. Mm. It's like it's whimsical, the... whimsical yeah. piano jazz music over them trying to get money off guys who are attracted to them, basically. And we hear that same song play in Vietnam with Terry Neen and Ken and Gerard, I think, too. My God. How are you remembering this? Logan can recite every line in this season. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Because <laughs> it's a very distinct soundtrack that they don't use too often because it's supposed to be the more playful, friendly music. <laughs> mm, it was, so they, yeah. yeah, they use it for Heather and Eve at the start of the season. And I know for sure they use it in Vietnam when they're all ch- chilling at the airport. And then it's going to, of course, we're gonna, it's going to turn out. It's going to be like, no, it's, it was actually at the Singapore airport. You suck, Logan. Remember yeah, you suck, suck. Logan. I'll keep an eye on that. Yeah. So when they do get to the island, it is a detour, which is manpower or horsepower. In manpower, teams have to kayak around a specific area to find the next clue. And in horsepower, teams have to search a different, much larger area using jet skis. And I think it's an obvious choice which one you'd pick. Wave runners. Definitely. After a 24-hour bus ride and then having to drive myself and then having to do a ferry... Am I really going to use physical exercise? No. No, you're going to take it to the max. I'm used to kayaks falling over. I'm not used to jet skis falling over. Like, what is wrong with these people? (laughs) It is quite a skill, I have to say, because they deliberately make it very difficult to tip jet skis because (sighs) of how dangerous it is if a jet ski is upside down on top of you. God. And in fact, they usually have some sort of emergency switch that when you fall over it will cut the power immediately to stop you getting killed yes <laughs> yeah you can you tell why certain teams are were on the why they were all on the first bus and not the second bus because the teams on the first bus have a much easier time with this detour especially with the wave runners and we find out in another brilliant piece of editing where john vito and jill say out loud 83 minutes they said 83 minutes wasted and I'm thinking, wow, John Vita was very specific with how much time was wasted on the kayak. That was definitely for the viewers at home. I know we are going to get to this in later episodes, but John Vito and Jill were only cast because of the 9-11 connection and are obviously the weakest team personality-wise of the season. And yet they're still, yeah, they're still super likable overall as people. Yeah, but I mean the 9-11 connection did help them a lot to get on this season. Yeah, I mean, it, there's no denying that for sure. And also to come back for All-Stars. And they come back for All-Stars, yeah. But yeah, it's definitely a 2002 time capsule here. But I like how when we get to the detour, it's like, okay, Ariane's going to make fun of Michael for wanting to do the 
Kak, and she's like, yeah, he's always he's always taking the slow road. He did the donkey, and now he's doing the kayaking. I don't know if uh, his cowardice is going to get in Kathy's way of her needing a big, strong man around. And I'm thinking, wow, that's a brutal confessional. She's essentially saying that Kathy's going to dump Michael because he's too much of a coward and isn't a man. And he's so laid back and isn't assertive enough. I mean, he's just being considerate to production and making sure both sides of the detour get used at all times so they don't waste any money. It's like, all right, I'll, I'll choose this other side of the detour just because producers want to see both tasks. They'll be happy with me. All right, that's cool. That's cool. And we, when we see Flo and Zach on the wave runner, it's like, oh man, I wonder how long this is. Oh, they, they already found the clue. It's done. It is a very <laughs> quick detour again. <laughs> Yeah, they say the lagoon was massive, so I'm guessing it took some time. It's just not enough time to show on TV. It's like, yep, Flo and Zach have the clue, and they find out they have to take the ferry to, as Tremel and Talisha will say, Chaka Khan Park on on the island of Cozumel. Why can't anything be called Detroit? (laughs) It's one of my favorite quotes. And then we get the first case of Flo feeling like Zach's leaving her stranded at a task because... They get off the jet ski, or Zach jumps off the jet ski and is back on land, and Flo's like, hello, you're just going to leave me here? It's like, you can just hop off the jet ski, Flo, and you're on land. (laughs) I'm in two minds about whether to keep this season spoiler-free or not, but, I mean, even if you don't know how Flo and Zach do, they are just brilliant characters. Yeah. Because they're complete opposites, that's the thing. They are such brilliant casting because they are so different to each other. And contrast that with Terry and Ian, who I love as well, who are very similar personality-wise. They are both very much type A. Yeah. And then Zach's like, oh, sorry, Flo, I didn't mean to leave you on that jet ski. I thought you had feet. (laughs) Yeah, Flo is the alpha. Zach very much goes with the flow in both senses of that term. (laughs) Uh, Yes. And they even even picking which car they're going to use is a big deal for Flo because because they get to the cars and Zach's like, we're picking red, right? Because you like the color red? Because heaven forbid what will happen if I pick green or <laughs> blue or purple. It's going to be uh, just going to be hellfire raining down on the island of Cancun. No, Zach, I liked red yesterday. <laughs> it's a blue day today. Oh, God. But yeah, it's hilarious. It's like, Love you, Flo. Why, uh, <laughs> If if somehow Flo ends up listening to this, we love you. <laughs> I think 19 years later, even you would admit you're a little bit highly strung in this season. And uh, what gets missed is uh, Ken and Gerard also did the kayaking and stuck with it and found the clue, and so did Michael and Kathy. And Michael and Kathy, I think, get the clue even before some of the teams get the Wave Runner clue. Michael and Kathy arrive at the robot fourth. Yeah. So clearly wasn't that big of a deal between the two tasks. Because that's the second that's the second leg in a row where Michael and Kathy choose a slower detour, but they still finish ahead of teams who are at the clearly faster detour option. Yeah. And then Ken thinks he's queen of the Nile by being on the kayak. <laughs> and then Gerard yells at him to make the theory that the other five teams are, or I guess four teams are all on. So four or five teams on that ferry. Yeah, it's it's four because in the end they get in sixth and Derek and Drew obviously aren't on a ferry at all. That's the thing with the fast forward too. It's like, wait, John V and Jill were seventh. Oh, Derek and Drew. <laughs> that they're messing up my number. 
So yeah, Gerard yells at Ken saying, we're not on a stroll to Sunday church. Come on, we got to make this ferry. And it's like, nope, ferry leaves without them because Ken refused to run. But I'm guessing after 24 hours of being on a bus that your legs aren't going to be ready to be running at full speed again. No, you're going to be stiff as all hell. Yeah. And the best thing for that is to ride a wave runner. And also <laughs> the best thing was to be in the same taxi as Aaron and Hardy. And also be in the same taxi as, as Ariane while she's putting her bathing suit on. Anyway, so we get the second bus in there. It's three and a half or four and a half hours later. And they all choose the Wave Runner because they know they're in desperation mode. Derek and Drew get to go straight to the pit stop. So it's really just Dennis and Andrew, Andre and Damon, Terranian and Tramel and Talisha. One in four shot, one of them's going home. It, it's pretty clear. And Terry and Ian and Tramel and Talisha both fall off the jet skis a lot. <laughs> it is quite an impressive skill. I think the reason why they also fall off is because they have so many bags on board too, on top of all of the other weight. And Tramel and Talisha and Terranine aren't exactly the smallest people to be on jet skis either. But if one person's going to lean to the left, the other one should lean to the right to balance the damn jet ski, not just let the whole thing fall over. I don't think there are too many jet skis in Gary, Indiana. I bet there are a lot of jet skis in Florida, though. Yeah, but I don't see Terry and Ian getting on jet skis flying around uh, South Beach, the South Beach, or uh, riding around the South Beach of Miami too often. The other element here is: could they not have left their bags in the car or in the van? Because they were coming back to the vans. Hmm. I would have just left mine in my bags in the van personally. Well, they took a taxi. They took a taxi to the detour, though, so I don't think they even had this, the vehicles yet. Yeah. They don't get the vehicles till after the detour, so there was nowhere to... They should, there should have really been a marked area of, like, just drop your bags off here, because I have a theory that's pretty much what happens before they all check in on the mat, because nobody has their bags on the pit stop for, at the pit stop for some reason. Yeah. So once they do arrive in the cars, it's a roadblock, which is who's ready for the swim of a lifetime. And in this roadblock, one team must search for clues hidden in a dolphin lagoon. Cool roadblock. Yeah, it's a pretty cool roadblock to experience because you're right up to the dolphins. I think, I swear, I swear a couple teams even got to touch the dolphins while swimming too. You know who a great choice for a swimming challenge is though? The person who can't swim. (laughs) (laughs) That's how relaxed Michael is. He he just says, "Ah, yeah, I can swim. Uh, I'll do it. I'll do this roadblock. Oh, wait, I can't swim. That's a bad idea. (laughs) Yeah. So it is Ariane, Zach, Heather, Michael, who can't swim, John Vito, Ken, Ian, Andrew, Damon, and Tremel doing this roadblock. Literally no one struggles. <laughs> no, like we get... I, you can't even figure out who did this roadblock. It was John Vito or Jill because I think if you were to time it, this is no exaggeration, I think they get about a half a second of footage at the roadblock. So I think they might have gotten lost or something. Or, no, they're on the later ferry. They're on the later ferry because of the of them sucking at the kayaking task. So they're on the ferry after Ken and Gerard, I guess. And that means they're in the middle of the pack of 11 teams. They're, there's no way they're going home. There's no way they're not even really involved in the Twin Hunt storyline anymore. Well, next episode, they somewhat are. And that means, okay, I guess that the roadblock will just show John DeVito for half a second, just so people at home know they did the roadblock. 
so they avoid the whole controversy of oh John Vino and Jill arrived at the pit stop but they didn't even do the roadblock. That's the only reason why they even get half a second of oh John Vino has a clue. That's it. They don't even show them opening the clue or deciding who's going to do it. It's just boom, he's done. And I like how much Flo is shouting at Zach during the roadblock too, and a roadblock that I think took all the teams less than five minutes. It was pretty quick. Tramel though did it when it was quite dark. Did you notice it? It would have been really hard to um, see the clue. I'm guessing there was there were lights, or maybe there was someone illuminated underwater. I don't know. It was a fairly small lagoon. <laughs> maybe they were finally able yeah. to do some sort of extra lighting. I'm sorry to tell you, you've been illuminated from the race. Yeah. Terry and Ian, though, I love their tradition of falling off uh, things on water because that's going to be their main thing that happens to them in All-Stars, too, is Terry falling in during whitewater rafting and then production hinting that she dies in the water. So I like how they fall off the jet skis twice and Tremel and Talisha fall off the jet skis not once, not twice, but three times. Really? God. Why didn't I notice it? Yeah, three times they fall off the jet skis in the in the episode. With Tramiel insinuating that he definitely peed in the water the second time that they fell. And saying that it was faster for them to walk to the find the clue rather than ride the jet skis. Makes you wonder how long they took trying to do that detour. Because it, I'm going to guess it takes a while for them to get back on each time. I mean, they, I mean, when you bail three times, just think that they have to flip it back up and try to get both of them back on it. And they are in <laughs> literally the middle of a lagoon. There is not a chance in hell there's any easy place for them to park up and try again. No, because the jet ski, yeah, is in the middle of the lagoon, so it's not like they can pull their jet ski to say, it's not like you're in a swimming pool where it's like, oh, I fell off my little, my floaty, I'm going to just get to the side of the pool and then hop back on again. It's like, no, you have to use all upper body strength to try and get back on there. And you're going to have to do it three times. <laughs> so teams have to now drive themselves to the pit stop, which is Logan. Can you remember it? The Diamante K bungalows in in either Tulum or Tulum, depending which team you are. Much easier for you to remember than the, uh, the old monastery. Hacienda San Gabriel de las Palmas. And it is 57 miles away from the roadblock location. The last team to check in will be eliminated. That's another thing with the early seasons, too. Phil gave exact distances between route markers. You didn't have to rely on Reality Fan Linky to uh, constantly look up the distance between locations. I like him telling us distances, because it really it really makes the, um, the self-driving more interesting, I think. Yeah, when it's like 57 miles, then anything can happen. And then Derek and Drew almost mess up getting the pit, getting to the pit stop first because they get into arguments over directions, but they're first anyway, and they're like, oh, teams are going to be scared of us now. It's like, yeah, you go 11th on your first leg, and then you took the fast forward on the second leg. You managed to stumble your way through. <laughs> yeah, I'm really, I'm really, I'm really freaking scared. I'm shaking in my boots. But apparently teams are more afraid of them when they were 11th place after the first leg instead of this episode. You limped your way home. Or as uh, Aaron and Ariane will say when they check in, for some reason they're talking about Derek and Drew when they check into the pit stop, but say that they are an Abercrombie and Fitch campaign gone wrong. They are vicious <laughs> towards Derek and Drew. Yeah, yeah they? it's like, who's leading the twin hunt? I think it's Aaron and Ariane. 
But yeah, they really wanted to try and screw over Derek and Drew, but Flo had a different interpretation of that later on in the race. So yeah, Derek and Drew checking in first, Aaron and Ariane in second, Heather and Eve third, Michael and Kathy fourth, Flo and Zach fifth, Ken and Gerard sixth, John Vito and Jill seventh. What I liked about the pit stop check-ins is the decrease of reaction where we get Aaron and Ariane's yelling, then they cut to Heather and Eve's slightly less yelling and cheering, and then Michael and Kathy's, all right. It's like they just went in decreasing order of reaction. <laughs> and then Flo is squeaking at the pit stop for some reason. And then Andre and Damon checking in eighth. And then our final three, all of whom have transport issues, Dennis and Andrew checking in ninth. And then there is a real difficult choice for Logan as to who he wants to get eliminated here. Yeah, this is a, this was a brutal little uh, showdown here. I can't see. I can't see. I can't see. I can't see, Terry. I can't help you. can't see, even though I'm the one driving. I can't see. <laughs> but it is Terry and Ian who check in 10th, leaving Tramel and Talisha to check in 11th and last place and are eliminated from the race. I get the impression this wasn't even close. No. Based on all the footage, because on the ferry, we have Dennis and Andrew, Andre and Damon, and Terry and Ian are all on the same ferry, and Andre and Damon even say the quote of, yeah, I guess Tramel and Talisha aren't even going to make this ferry. And then all three teams do the roadblock in in daylight. And then Tramel, it seems like, did it at like a middle of pitch black darkness after midnight or something. Yeah, I think there was at least a couple of hours between the teams. Because clearly Tramel and Talisha had to have been by far the slowest. At, I think even with John Vito and Jill switching, I wouldn't be surprised if Tramel and Talisha still took the longest at the detour from having to reset so many times. And then they showed them getting lost too during the drive. And then we don't know how long it was between ferries, but they were, if, if they were on the same ferry as any of the other teams on the two ferries, I'm sure that would have been shown on TV to make it more interesting. But I think mm. when you're watching the showdowns, like, yeah, it's probably had to have been at least an hour, if not two hours, just based on this fact that Tramel is doing the roadblock and darkness as opposed to daylight. It's the old Amazing Race adage of, unless you see them in the same frame, they are not in the same place at the same time. Yeah. So yeah, Terry didn't get in, and Phil's like, so you're the older team. Does this mean you're pretty much throwing in the towel and have no shot in hell of winning this thing? Are we going to say goodbye to you next leg? And they're like, nope. Nope, that's not going to happen. We're never going to quit. We're never throwing in the towel. Because they thought they were last at one point. Yeah, it's also worth bearing in mind how badly older teams had done up until this point. I think the longest an older team had lasted in the first two seasons was five legs. David Margreta, yeah. So Terry and Ian making it to the end of leg two is already an accomplishment for their bracket. And what's funny is that in the in the lead up to one of, I think in episode five, or episode, no, episode six, Phil is going to specifically mention before the leg even starts saying, well, Terry need to go home because this is the furthest the older team has has ever made it to this point in the race. And it's like, it's not even halfway, man. <laughs> but it was some big grand ex- uh, accomplishment at the time. Kind of like how it's going to be viewed when uh, when an all-female team makes it to Final Four or further on Amazing Race. It's going to be viewed as this big, big monumental feat. Just because of how rare it happens, I think... It takes 10 seasons for an all-female team to make Final Three. So, next time, teams fly to the UK for the very first time and 
if you've heard any of our previous Amazing Race recaps, you'll know how much I love UK legs, because they're always brilliant. This one is pretty good, <laughs> though, to be fair. The twin hunt begins for realsies. Ken and Gerard take a hunt, and someone says thanks for their memories. Yeah, I like how the preview is misleading because Phil says, and some teams take extreme measures to try and stay in the race. It's like, what? A team's going to hijack a British tank and drive it all the way to the pit stop to beat another team? <laughs> Are they going to like fire the tank so it shoots, so it like makes the other taxis explode? <laughs> What's going to happen next time? I know we talked about the 24-hour bus ride in Mexico being pretty brutal, but don't forget that a couple of days after that, they then have to do a nine-hour bus ride from Cambridge to Aberdeen. And that's after they had to book their own flights from Mexico all the way to the freaking UK. Yeah, they love to ruin these people's health, basically, at the start (laughs) of this season. (laughs) There is some brutal travel in this episode, in next episode, and then in a couple of episodes' time as well. Yeah, we're going to have a team that gets to just wait seven hours for a bus to leave and then ride a nine-hour bus. (laughs) It's not pleasant. (laughs) Nice. So you guys got anything else you want to say? I was so disappointed with Tramiel and Talisha going home so early in the season. And they really are... uh, They don't get that much time to shine in this episode other than at the detour. Other than, or or the the, the Shakanab, the Chaka Khan quote. Yeah, we really didn't see much of them in this episode apart from the why can't anything be called Detroit and them collapsing a, a jet ski repeatedly. Yeah, and for some reason, for it doesn't come up in the first episode, but they have the nickname of TNT that they just wholeheartedly embrace. But boy, oh boy, does that nickname not live up to how they perform in the race. <laughs> Yeah, they were good personalities. I wish they would have stayed longer. It ends up with them being more controlled explosion than TNT. Yeah, it's a shame that it's like, TNT, it's like, where did this nickname come from? Why why is this just happening on leg two? Well, it doesn't matter because they're gone, so I guess we're never going to find out. And then the TNT came back in the Aussie season for Tom and Tyler. There was a fourth Australian season. <laughs> I mean, in this house, we only acknowledge three, I'm sorry. Oh, dear. It's not Real Amazing Race if it's on Channel 10. <laughs> What's funny is that none of the other teams ever referred to them as, as TNT. They were always referred to as Tramiel and Talisha. So it's like, did they give them so, themselves that nickname? What up with that? I think so. I love a nickname where teams have given it to themselves. They call me the Dragon Slayer. So, on that note, thank you for listening to our Amazing Race recap. We'll be back next week to recap episode number three. Don't forget you can contact us on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, or Instagram, where we are, RTV Warriors, or you can email us and contact us at rtvwarriors.com. Logan is on Twitter at logsubkuwaki. Michelle is bear three to three to three to three to three to three to three. And I am MJ Halfstone. And we'll see you next week. Bye. Peace out and just chill till the next episode. The next F episode. You need to do that again. Stay tuned and just chill till the next episode. Revolutionary idea. How about I do the entire outro again and we do it properly this time, children? I really miss my cue. So on that note, thank you for listening to our Amazing Race recap. We'll be back next week to recap episode number three. Don't forget you can contact us on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, or Instagram, where we are, RTV Warriors. Or you can email us and contact at rtvwarriors.com. 
Logan is on Twitter at Logsubkuwaki. Michelle is Bear3233333. And I am MJ Halfstone. See you next week. Peace out and just chill till the next episode. Bye. <laughs> I tried so hard to be normal just then. I'm like, I can't laugh, I can't laugh. But you still did. Sorry. <laughs> oh, dear. I did.